Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, my co-host, Cole Miller, and two awesome guests. Honestly, one of my favorite pods to, to be listening to lately, the Draft Dak Podcast. We have Corey and Albert on um, from the Draft Dak. Corey has also been doing a lot of cool stuff with the Hardwood Herald magazine. Um, I, I, I love a lot of the stuff I'm seeing from on, on social media from the both of you guys. So, Corey, how you doing? Albert, how you doing, my friend? Yo, thanks for having us. I'm uh, excited to be here. I, I, as well, am a big fan of the pod. You guys have been killing it lately. And, you know, the, uh, I, I think Albert agrees. But uh, we love talking NBA draft. And, and I, you know, I think on some of these prospects, I, I know Albert's going to have some spice to him. Uh, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> I got to say, I, I really appreciate the love. Um, it, it feels surreal. Like, I, I kind of just feel like Corey's sidekick right now. Um, Corey's, you know, Corey's no. the guy on, on social media. You guys know what he's doing. <laughs> but um, I'm just, yeah, you know what? Like Corey said, I think I'm, I'm coming in. I personally don't like hot takes, but, like, I think Corey's been kind of um, portraying me as a hot take guy. So I'm like, damn, am I, am I changing? Am I somebody else? Like, do I have a new identity? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm ready. I'm They're hyped. not I hot love- takes. Uh-huh. I think whether you like it or not, we, you know, we, they're we, well we thought out of, and articulated takes. Yeah, I think whether you like it or not, we kind of all have like a quote unquote hot take every every once in a while. It's kind of unavoidable in, in some of the conversations that we end up having. So I'm excited for this podcast because Cole and I haven't uh, revisited some of these G League guys in, in, in quite a while. We We did an initial pod after their first game to kind of just give our quote unquote first reactions. Um, and, and then we might have hit on them a little bit here and there, and we did like a wrap up uh, to the G League season type of podcast. But other than that, we really haven't had any conversations, at least with with other people. And we've had so many guests on lately. I, I've been very thankful that Cole and I have gotten to talk to a lot of the the draft Twitter community because, as I've said on this pod multiple times before, I think that's really what it's all about. It's about engaging the community and and learning from one another. So that's why I'm really excited to have you two on because, like I said, you guys have been killing it with everything you guys have been doing lately. So um, I, I just want to dive right in with probably the, the biggest name out of these four guys would obviously be Jalen Green. Um, in In terms of like ceiling where these guys are being ranked i've been a pretty firm like if i had like the number two overall pick in the draft i would probably take jalen suggs that that's kind of how i felt all season but i gotta be honest i've come around um and, and i've been a little back and forth but i think jalen green to me has to be that next pick off the board after Cade cunningham and, and the reason for that is that the the level of star power the level of confidence, his attitude, his demeanor, the way he approaches the game. Um, if, if anyone out there's listened to Chad Ford's podcast with, with, with Shaw, with, with Coach Shaw, obviously he was talking about Jalen Green's work ethic and the fact that he just has that it factor, right? Like, and that's really what you're looking for when, you have, when you're considering like the top overall pick in the draft, the top three pick in the draft. You want a guy who you know at the end of the game you can put the ball in his hands. You can involve him in some type of offensive action. And more often than not, he's going to be able to come up with some kind of play or he's going to be able to hit a big shot. 
And you saw that from Jalen Green, certainly at multiple points throughout the G League Ignite season, especially in their last game, even though they had a pretty bad loss in, in what was their quote-unquote first playoff game against the Raptors G League squad. At the same time, he put up 30 points in that game, and he looked like a, a fully functional first option for that team, not afraid to take any kind of shot. Obviously, a three-level scorer on the wing can hit from the outside, at times can make plays for others. We, we can get into how, how we all feel about his playmaking overall, but I think at the very least, he can make simple, smart decisions with the ball in his hands. And then if you want to talk about athleticism, he's going to come into the NBA right away, and he's going to be one of the top athletes, not only in this draft class, but in the league. He kind of has like that Zach Levine-level um, floaty athletic quality to him. So I really like the package that he has overall. Um, and my co-host, Cole, everybody knows that he's also been really high on Jalen Green as well. So, Cole, before we turn it over to the draft deck, guys, why don't you kind of give your perspective in terms of where you've kind of been at on Jalen Green this whole time and, and how you've been able to, to talk me into Jalen Green even more a little bit than, than where I've been at. Yeah, so it's nice to hear you have him back above the other Jalen, um, and that's no, no easy feat, let's be honest. Uh, but for me with Jalen Green, I've, I've been with him Honestly, since I caught him first in high school, uh, and when I when I caught him back then, I just it seemed to just pop off the screen to me then, and I was like, "Wow, this kid is really going to be something." He seems to love the game, know the game, and really just want to destroy his opponents on the court. And that just seems to have gotten more amplified as the as the years have gone on with him, as he's gotten a little older and more mature, and he knows knows what he's doing out there. Um, I can't really add anything to the to the package that you already pointed out. Um, so I'll just put this out there that I think. Me, like, if I had a gun to my head, I would, I would be comfortable taking Jalen Green over Cade Cunningham first overall. Um, I think that's because, in my opinion, Jalen is a better scorer than anything Cade does. And I think at the end of the game, like you mentioned, the ball is going to be in Jalen's hands. And if he's better at scoring than anything Cade does, then give me that guy because he's going to either score or make it incredibly easy for someone else to score at the end of the game because of the attention he's drawing. For me, I think that has to be a serious consideration for people at the top of the draft. Yes, Kate is a terrific playmaker, and, and there's you know a lot of great things to like about his game, and that and jumbo playmakers are definitely in. But I think you really need to take a long look at Jalen Green and everything he's about. There's, I don't think there's really a war in his offensive game either. Ori, I know that you and Albert have talked about Jalen Green somewhat at length on your own podcast. So for, for my listeners, in case they haven't heard, um, your thoughts. I'll start with you, Corey. W what is your overall take on Jalen Green? How comfortable w would you be with taking him w w with a high overall pick in this draft? And even since your, your, your podcast with Albert, when you did talk about him, um, have any of your thoughts kind of changed when you're looking over other guys and then you're kind of coming back and reviewing some film on Jalen Green? No, my thoughts have been pretty consistent. I have Jalen number two overall on my board. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I absolutely love this kid's game. I had a scout uh, text me, you know, within the last week or so, like, if he ended up being better than Mobley and Cade, they wouldn't be shocked. And I wouldn't be shocked either. Now, with that said, I would still take Cade first overall. And, and I, I think Cade's combination of, of scoring, shooting, playmaking, um, and just uh, positional defensive versatility as well, um, is something that I couldn't pass on, but Jalen at number two, I, I've also, I've been a fan for a while. And, you know, I think a lot of people had concerns with him coming in. Like, you know, you mentioned Zach Levine, like 
there's a bit of like this chucker reputation if you're not so dialed in with Jalen. And I actually think that Jalen's uh, game is is pretty nuanced for the type of player I think most people are probably going to perceive him to be. And I kind of feel like it's been like that for a while. You know, I, I know that if you watch some of his AAU or his uh, high school tape, you might get kind of that impression. But what when I first was really drawn to him, it was when I watched him with the FIBA U19 team. And, you know, uh, just a loaded team with Cade and Mobley and Suggs and Halliburton, Kyra Lewis and Reggie Perry and, you know, the list goes on. And he was playing this, like, off-ball role and just fitting in, being athletic, playing defense, uh, you know, scoring opportunistically. And I was like, wow, like, this is a team guy. Like, he he doesn't look out of place here. He He still knows how to contribute. And then you know what he's capable of with the ball in his hands as a scorer. Uh, and, and that athleticism, you know, it's crazy. Uh, it's it's going to be top-tier athleticism going through any draft you you find throughout the years. So, uh, obviously, him really producing, I think, better than people thought in this bubble was super encouraging because the athleticism still popped against people who have actually played in the league, you know. Um, the tutelage that he's gotten from playing under NBA coaching and with NBA veterans and learning NBA terminology and just going through that every day is so valuable. You know, I, I can't say enough positive things about the kid. And and I think that a lot of the, the notions people have, I know people question his defense. I thought he was pretty like incredible as a, a, a one-on-one man defender and executing the Ignites team concept, pushing guys to the sideline. He's always switching his stance to get guys to go to that sideline, and he's so quick that he'll beat them there. He's got incredible anticipation, getting a hand up in, in the player's face on shot contests. Um, you know, I, I there are things uh, team-wise he can clean up, sure, but that is true of any young player. Um, that's, you know, really difficult stuff to comprehend uh, as a, you know, 18, 19-year-old kid. But I, I think his potential's through the roof, and just everything he displayed. I mean, I was just like, "Yep, this dude is—he's legit. He's for real." And it's—it's it's crazy because you know Mobley's a great prospect. Suggs—I mean, he's the epitome of when you look for leadership and and yep. toughness and and heart, and, and you love that. But sometimes, like, you see something in somebody that's innate and you can't explain. And Jalen has always just kind of popped in that way for me. Yeah, you can't really quantify the the it factor that he brings, and there really is no better word for it. It's just it's just it. Like like, like you just know watching Jalen Green, like he he's going to end up as a star in the NBA, barring any anything catastrophic happening. Um, two quick points, and then I'll kick it over to Albert, and and, and I'll let him give his thoughts on, on Green. You mentioned the defense. I, I've beat beat the dead horse already so many times on this podcast that like so many rookies when they first come into the NBA like they're not good defenders like it takes a lot of time um to to actually get used to playing the game at that level of pace and getting accustomed to seeing so many different styles of offense when you're on the other end of the floor having to guard so many different matchups having to be involved in so many different switches so when, when you talk about his defense, I, I agree, Corey. He was very engaged defensively for the Ignite team. Um, and that's something you're always going to get from Green. His willingness to work, his willingness to learn, and, and his willingness to just try on the court at all times and not take plays off. And I really didn't see Green take any plays off. And those are all 
to me, fantastic qualities um, for, for a young wing and somebody who wants to get better and, and, and excel at working at their craft. So that's obviously very important to me. And the other thing, when you talked about his offense and his level of nuance to his offensive attack, uh, the, the other night I was tweeting uh, in that Celtics-Wizards game that, that the, the best thing that happened for the Celtics was when they were able to post up Jason Tatum um, and they were kind of able to let the offense go through him and let some of their other guards just spread the floor and, and kind of let things happen naturally. And there are times when you go back and watch the G League Ignite that they, they let Jalen Green post up a little bit too uh, when, when he had the right guy to be able to post up against. And he either made sound decisions out of those post-ups or he was able to fade away or, or, or make a step through and hit a shot himself. So like when we're talking about a kid who's that young and you're able to give the ball to him in those kind of offensive situations and he's able to make something happen um that that's unusual for for somebody his age too so albert why, why don't you kind of give us some of your thoughts on jalen green and how you feel about him overall as well and, and why you're why why you're probably high on him too i think you know one thing one of my close friends was telling me like hey you know i've been listening to your pod and you and Corey just agree too much and um <laughs> and so I'm trying to change that, but yeah, I'm agreeing with Corey here too, just in the fact that I have him number two on my board too. And I think like even boards are like such a weird thing, but a lot of mock drafts have Evan Mobley going second. But when I compare, not that you can actually even compare the two players, but when I look at green, there's like a killer instinct to him. Like we're watching the end of games and you can throw him the ball and he, he looks like he's engaged and he looks like he wants to kill somebody. Uh, and that's something I really like about Jalen green. And then, Going back to what you guys talked about with the whole G League Ignite situation and all that, and I think if you look at his arc during the G League season, I think something that was really interesting is the fact that, as you mentioned, he had Brian Shaw as his coach, and he had, you know, 35-year veteran Jared Jack and Bobby Brown and Amir Johnson. I was watching them play the Iowa Wolves today. This was from a couple months back, and I just saw Amir Johnson taking threes and I was like, man, that must have been really hard to play with. <laughs> uh, but it was it was interesting to watch. And like, you know, going piggybacking off of uh, what Corey said, but I feel like that experience with that coaching and those veterans next to him, like you saw him develop and improve over the year. And that alone was really, really exciting for me because you could see it, right? Like he has all the raw tools. He has all the raw athleticism. He's like he's like super Mario, like where he's jumping in the air and he has that like slight hang time, except like he has way more hang time. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, and he's just up in the air. He's crazy, you know? And so um, he's been uh, just watching that and he, he has all the raw stuff, but then that experience, that coaching, those teammates, uh, something that Corey and I talked about on the pod about Jalen Green was like going back and watching those games, you could hear how vocal uh, Jared Jack was and I really like that like he had that ethos of like I'm gonna be vocal and I'm gonna set the tone defensively I'm gonna call everything out and I think like even that that experience of Jalen Green being there and hearing that and feeling that I think all those things kind of come together and create this package where I think Jalen Green on the next level is gonna be scary like really really scary beyond all the stuff that you can see with the eye I think the arc and the experience of being in the G League which kind of speaks to like a bigger picture thing, right? Like we just saw, what's it, isn't Justin Hardy? Jaden Hardy? I don't even know. Jaden. The Hardy kid. Jaden Hardy. Yeah. He just committed to the G League Ignite. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch too and to see how this goes because I, we're going to talk about Kaminga. We're going to talk about Knicks. We're going to talk about Isaiah Todd. But I think these guys really benefited from this experience. And I can't freaking wait to see Jalen Green on the next level. So that's kind of how I feel. 
the 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 one thing that that I can point out, um, Albert, I'm glad you brought up the the veterans and, and the people he had around him. Was that th- there are times in the NBA when when you see vets interacting with rookies on on the court, and not every veteran, and th- this speaks both to the vets that he had around him as well as Jalen Green, the player, but not every vet is, is the nicest to some of these rookies like like you'll absolutely see times where a rookie will will make a make a mistake or have a turnover or miss a read and and vets will kind of like not necessarily blast them right in like the middle of the court right but they'll kind of like bring them over towards the sideline and, the, and they'll they'll definitely have their peace and, and have their say with them right but you didn't see guys like jared jack or amir johnson have any of those um type of quote-unquote rough and more vocal conversations with, with, with somebody like Jalen Green. Um, it wasn't like violent interaction in any way. At the same time, I think that speaks to their level of maturity actually leading this team and wanting to work with the young guys. But it also speaks to Jalen Green's demeanor, um, not necessarily wanting to argue with those veterans as well, being a sponge and wanting to soak up as much as he can um, and kind of accepting that when those conversations took place, when he did make a mistake, he was more than willing to accept that he made it and, and learn from it and kind of move on and, and, and take that as a lesson, not necessarily take that as like a harsh criticism. And I love to see that from younger players too, right? Like, like when you're a rookie coming into the NBA, you need to be able to take criticism um, and, and use it to better yourself, not necessarily get frustrated or mad or, or let that affect you on the next possession or even the possession after. So I, I, I agree that that was a big thing for all of these guys that we're going to talk about is that they had mentors for, from Coach Shaw all the way down to um, guys like a Jared Jack or Amir Johnson, guys who were willing to work with these young guys um, and, and definitely make them better in their own right. So I love seeing that too. Um, Cole, I guess like the last thing to really touch on Jalen Green that I want to before we kick it over to Kaminga um, is you don't always see Jalen Green, number one or number two on a draft board. You don't always hear people talking about wanting to take him with like a top two pick. He, he's he's kind of slid down to, to number four or even number five in like some spots that I've seen on social media. So what, why do you think that people have been low on, on Jalen Green besides some of like the chucker mentality that we've kind of talked about? And, and, and do you definitely see any of those people still having that same opinion as we get closer to the draft? Or do you think a lot more people are going to come around on Green kind of like we all have in this conversation? I think people will continue to come around. There's going to be some holdouts in the chucker camp that want to be right and see him fail and be that way. But I'm, I don't envy those people, honestly. Um, but I think... Uh, you've heard me say it a couple times throughout the year, Nate, and this is probably going to be my hottest take of the night, but I think Cade has a little bit of the good boy uh, momentum going for him, and I think that's why he kind of slides to the top on a lot of people's backwards. He was the face of college basketball this year, and Jalen Green was in the G League. I think that still resonates with some people, especially with the mock draft community. Um, I just want to hop on Albert's point about uh, Jalen's progression throughout the, the G League season. He did that in 15 games. By, by game 15, this was the focal point of the G League Ignite team. That's super impressive, man. And you just got to, the, the slash line he put up, shooting efficiency just backs it up. The guy's, the guy's insane. Yeah, I mean, 46% from the field overall, uh, almost 37% from three, 83% from the free throw line. I mean, yeah, what, what more are you going to ask him to do um, in 15 games, playing 32 minutes a game? Like, like that, that's a legitimate um, high-end rookie diet for him, and, and he excelled pretty pretty much the only bad game that I can really say that he had was in their first game. And other than that, I think he played pretty well to uh, uh, definitely exceeding expectations at times. So 
Um, yeah, I, I, I really only have positive things to say about Jalen Green, and I think that the sky truly is the limit for the kid. Um, Jonathan Kuminga is another guy who people have, have pegged as this top five potential NBA draft pick. Uh, and for good reason. I mean, he's 6'8". He already comes in with a pro-ready body. Um, definitely one of the younger prospects in this draft because he ended up reclassifying and then committing to the G League. Um, and and young, young in basketball age as well. He hasn't been playing or organized basketball as long as some of these other guys in this draft class and some of his peers. So when you take a look at his game, he's definitely more raw than somebody like Jalen Green in terms of his offensive approach. He doesn't have... Um, that same nuance to his game, kind of that Corey alluded to. Um, but what he does have is he has an insane first step. Um, he is such a powerful line drive athlete that when he does get the step on somebody, nobody's taking him off course. He's going to get to the basket um, and, and have a chance to finish with relative ease. Um, he showed the willingness to take over and score at times. Like That's another thing, too. When you look at some of these younger kids coming into the draft, not all of them have the willingness to like take over a game or take like 14, 15 shots a game right off the bat. But you saw that willingness from Kuminga, that, that willingness to not want to back down to anybody. And I really like seeing that in prospects as well. Um, but he has some things that he needs to work on um, on the offensive end. While I think he did an okay job at making plays for others, he still um, struggled with committing some turnovers. He, I wouldn't really call him like a three-level scorer right now. I definitely think he needs to work on his mid-range game. Um, and, and obviously his three-point shooting, he only shot about 25% from three. He got off to a really good start towards the beginning of the season, but you can tell his shot mechanics. He shoots probably his line drive of a three-point shot. is like I, I remember Dario Saric shooting when he first came into the league and something that's definitely going to need to be corrected if he wants to be a more efficient three-point shooter and really live up to more of his promise. Um, but as like this potential two-way wing, you really aren't going to find many better candidates in this class than Kaminga and Albert. I'll start with you first because I know that before we started this podcast, you kind of alluded to that you are potentially higher on Kaminga than most. So why don't you kind of give your thoughts on why you think Kaminga is going to excel at the next level and, and, and where you would be comfortable taking him in the draft? You know, it's funny. I, I said that I'm I'm higher than most on him, but I, I kind of like him at fifth um, just because... Yeah, as as much as I love Green and Suggs and Mobley, like it's hard to put Kaminga over them. I think it was this week that um that uh, uh Mike Schmitz put up a video of Kaminga shooting in a gym. And it's funny, we're in that season now, right? We're watching guys shooting yep. in empty gyms and we get excited about all kinds of stuff. But just from that video, I'm watching Kaminga, I'm like, this guy has the most ripped back and shoulders I've ever seen from an eighteen year old. <laughs> like this guy literally I don't know what I'm watching. Um, in terms of how ripped he is. But, okay, the one thing that I did want to highlight, and I know Corey has a lot to say about Kaminga too, but going back to um, Jalen Green and his arc through the G League, right? After that first game, everyone was like, are we sure about Jalen Green? Is this guy going to be the guy that we think he is? And then when it came to Kaminga, everyone's like, oh, look at this guy, right? After his first game, and, you know, he had a really good game. And after that, as you mentioned, he tailed off a little bit. But the thing that I like about Kaminga, you mentioned that in terms of, uh, his experience in the game and his time playing, he hasn't played as much. But from what we saw in this G League season, I think there's a lot to work with there. I, I liked his handle. Like, yeah, he's not some super tight 
ball in a string type of guy, but I like some of the stuff that he was doing. I, I like some of the spin moves. I like that he was aggressive and he, I, I never got the feeling that he was afraid on the court, which is exciting, you know, because you can have toolsy guys, you can have guys who can fly through the roof and whatever, but if they go missing in games and they go silent and you can't really feel them on the court, that's when you're like, damn, this guy doesn't really have star potential, right? I mean, we're watching last night, Andrew Wiggins had a pretty good game, but people forget, I mean, maybe people don't forget, but Andrew Wiggins was the first pick in the draft. And the reason why Andrew Wiggins hasn't really lived up to that spot is because he floats and he can disappear a little bit. And when I watch Kaminga, I'm like, this this guy doesn't look like he's going to float and disappear in games. Oh, he's always engaged. Out. That's absolutely a selling point. Exactly. And so for me, considering how young he is, I mean, sorry, basketball-wise, I think there's so much untapped potential there. And I think he showed enough of like, hey, like I'm, I've got some stuff to me. And so I, I think that's exciting. And I think that's why I'm higher on him. And also the fact that he's got, he's like the most ripped a teenager I've ever seen in my life. So, I, I mentioned I believe in his ability to take somebody off a line drive or be able to attack a closeout mm -hmm. and, and potentially get get an easy chance to finish at the basket um, be, because of those physical tools that, yeah. and talents that he possesses. That's something that I'm going to be able to count on him to do in the NBA from day one. Um, the I honestly think that he has a chance to be better defensively um, with a lot of these guys than, than a lot of these guys from day one because of his physique, because of his power, that like I, I see him kind of playing up on defense, potentially guarding more fours in the NBA necessarily than threes. But if anybody tries to post him up, like they're not going to push him off of a spot very easily. Right. Like sometimes when, when you just have this big body, um, guys like I, I talk about Tobias Harris, I bring him up in, in this kind of conversation a lot, but like I wouldn't consider Tobias Harris like this above average defender by any means, but what he does have, he he's a physical guy. He's not afraid to bang. And I kind of see that same effort and engagement from Kuminga. And I think that he's going to be able to hold his own in, in man situations, whether it be on the perimeter or in the post. And that's why I think between that um, he's actually pretty decent at boxing people out and, and going up for rebounds on both ends of the court as well. So, like, yeah, Albert, I definitely see ways in which his game can translate immediately from day one in the NBA. And while I don't think he's a perfect prospect offensively yeah. to come in and, and, and score a lot of points efficiently from day one, he's going to get his, his reps and his opportunities because of how engaged uh, he is as a basketball player. So, Corey, I'll kick it over to you. What are some things you like and dislike um, from Kaminga, feel free to get uh, into both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively. Yeah, so Kaminga is probably the he's the one prospect in this draft that I feel like I've been closest to because his sophomore uh, season of high school, he played at Our Savior School in Center Reach, New York, um, which is about a thirty second drive from the school I I teach at. Um, you know, like he came to the basketball team that I coach, he came to like our rivalry game. Um, it was so close. Like he's shopping at the same target. So I got a little bit of a soft spot for him admittedly, but uh, I really like Kaminga's, you know, you, you both touched on it, like the aggressiveness and the fact that he's not scared to be aggressive. If you look at the number four pick in the 2020 draft, Patrick Williams, what's like, everyone's like head over heels, but what's the one thing that everybody wants more of right the aggressiveness they want him to realize his own potential they want him to turn into you know that modern day swing 
Kawhi type guy that that you know he gets compared to. You don't have to worry about that with Kaminga, and there's and and I do think that is a skill in and of itself. Yep. Um, yep. You know that that mentality is important because you're you're not going to reach your ceiling if you're afraid, and and he's not. Um, now I I st- I really like Kaminga. I think I've dropped him out of the top five, not far. I, I have him at six, but um, he is that modern day kind of like swing forward who could kind of go multiple positions uh, offensively and defensively. And, you know, the name of the game in the NBA right now is versatility and being able to play multiple positions. So just you can't teach the physical tools that he has, right? And and again, that that is a skill in and of itself. You know, you, you touched on the shot. Obviously, he didn't shoot it super well, but he had moments like, in that mid-range kind of that that area you probably don't want him shooting a ton of but he had moments there especially off the bounce where, where he displayed like really slick footwork where you go all right he's got no problem like getting shots off off the bounce and i think he can extend his range um and so you know he is more of like the guy you're projecting forward out of you know the him and green but like it's really easy to see his path into becoming like this really impactful superstar kind of guy and you know you touched on it like he had that monster first game where you looked at him and you're like yo this 18 year old kid who's playing his first professional game is straight up bodying professional players like grown men bodying them going in just dip dip in the shoulder creating space getting to the hoop and uh you know, for, for the one thing I hope for him is that I hope he goes to a situation where the development staff is on point because he's just got so many tools. And then, you know, we talk about it defensively, like he's going to be a guy who could defend multiple positions. You know, he's he's got the ability to do that laterally, and he displayed, you know, some pretty impressive instincts to block some shots off ball. Uh, I think that like again, you know, we mentioned with Green, you mentioned rookies are typically not great defenders. Uh, you know, professional principles are really difficult. And even when you comprehend these principles, it's the speed of the game and being able to comprehend them quicker than the offense is getting to their spots. So I do think he's got a little bit of a ways to go and you have to be patient with him there. But I think he's just gonna be one of those guys like Green where they're gonna be nice where you just look at him and you're like, whoa. I just got a flash forward to what he could potentially become. And then it's just going to be about consistency and a coaching staff, putting him in the right spots and, and putting him with the right team. Um, you know, and that, you know, could be said for a, a number of prospects and uh, it's up, it's going to be up to the teams and development staff. Cause I think he's going to work at it and he's going to want it. And he's certainly not going to be afraid to go get it. It's just going to be, you know, are these guys, going to be able to mold this ball of clay that is Jonathan Kuminga. I guess the the main disclaimer for me, um, but before I let Cole have his say, because Corey, I, I think you and Cole are both in the same camp that, that Kuminga's kind of dropped out of each of your r- respective top five radars. Um, my biggest disclaimer with him, it, it's a positive in that you talked about Jalen Green's coordination as a scorer, his ability to gather um, his footwork, 
his versatility around the basket in terms of his hang time and what he's able to do, um, kind of hit shots at different angles around the rim. I think Kuminga has a lot of that same body coordination as well. He's also that level of athlete. But the one thing I don't see from Kuminga consistently is his touch. Uh, whether it be around the basket, whether it be on, on a jump shot, you can just tell sometimes when you look at players and they don't have that soft touch when the ball comes off their hands and, and you know it's just going to float down um, through the net. And that is something that concerns me um, as a wing scorer who you might be looking at with a top five pick. You want him to be um, the, this volume scorer in time. Sometimes guys figure that out. But the majority of the time, they, they never exactly figure that out. And, and I don't really know everything that goes into that. It, it seems to be like, at least from, from my experience at scouting it, it's one of those things like you either have it or you don't. And I've mentioned this multiple times on this podcast, but like Cole and I are Sixers guys and we watch Philly the most. And somebody like Ben Simmons, for example, um, for everything that he can do with all of his strength and his power and, and his coordination, because he's that level of athlete, he doesn't always display that level of touch that you need to be a, an elite finisher or somebody that can potentially become a, a jump shooter in time. And while Jonathan Kaminga is much further along as a jump shooter than somebody like Ben Simmons is, um, with, with their finishing around the basket, you kind of notice that that lack of touch with the both of them. And that's definitely something that concerns me in terms of Kuminga being more of a volume scorer. Can he do plenty of things in time um, in one-off situations and in, in unique situations where he's called upon to do them? I definitely think he can. And that plays into his upside as like this potential top five pick in the draft. But in terms of how much volume I would throw at him, I'm not sure how efficient he's going to be of a volume scorer. And that gives me a little cause to pause, Cole. Um, why don't you talk about your feelings on Kuminga, why he's dropped out of uh, your kind of like top five radar. And, and if you share any of those concerns that I just laid out about Kaminga's shot making ability and his touch. Yeah, I do. I mean, let me just quickly say the positives. You guys mentioned them a little bit already. I mean, physique is impressive. His first step, obviously very impressive as well. And that, and that mentality that he holds, that he does think he can do all the things he wants to do on the basketball court and that he attempts to do. So definitely deserves high marks for all that. I guess where I fall, uh, a little bit lower on him in terms of my concerns. I think there's a little bit more work to do on the defensive end and with his three-point shot. And uh, you got into a little bit there, Nate, with his, the lack of touch around the rim and how that kind of translates to his shot as well. He shot 62.5% from the line this, this G League season as well as 245 from three. Really not that great, for being honest. Uh, and it was on pretty, pretty uh, steep volume as well. So I agree. I think the volume should be dialed back for him. I think he really needs to come in and prove that three-point shot. Like, he needs to get that corner three down in his first year uh, if, pretty soon if, if he's, you know, going to be this top five, top six guy that we all think he is and pan out and make good on that promise because right now he's not close to that. And I want to throw a name out there for you guys. If the shot really doesn't come around, I mean, you mentioned it with the, the explosive first step. Like, is this like a Thaddeus Young starter kit almost without a, without a shot? Mm. Interesting. Mm. Could be. Look, I, Thaddeus Young is. I'm a Bulls guy. Thaddeus Young's my guy. I can't. <laughs> let's not slander Thad <laughs> Young's name on here. Just, <laughs> he was, was one of the joys of this time. season. <laughs> but but to, I, I, okay. To talk about that that lack of uh you know touch and feel. We have seen that improve in in his kind of archetype a little bit. Like uh, Jalen Brown is a guy 
who I think had a lot of the same concerns uh, coming into the league and took some time. And, and I, I feel like that's kind of the path. And you, I feel like with, with Brown, he could have gone a number of, of ways, depending on where he went and what organization. And uh, like, obviously credit to him because he's the one working and he definitely has, I mean, he was a brilliant guy who, you know, with a, a great work ethic, but you know, a lot of it also comes down to who you're developing around and, I feel like Boston was really great for his development. So I feel like I agree with all of those points for sure. But I feel like there's a path. Like it's not, and then that's why you're drafting him this high. Yep. No, there, there's absolutely a path for improvement. Um, I, I always believed in Jalen Brown. I, I, I definitely, from, from just some intel that I had b- before the draft process, um, as well as kind of seeing him play a little bit at Cal and then seeing him kind of his first few years with the Celtics. I just knew that he had a package there to be able to handle the ball, make plays at a high level, and, and kind of turn himself into a three-level scorer. Like, I, I always bet on his upside. I definitely thought that he was um, de- deserving of the top three pick in, in, in his draft class, and rightfully so. He's definitely a, a exploded on the scene this year more than ever um, as that level of player. And, and if Kuminga can develop into something even close as like a Jalen Brown and what he's become this year, then, then yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's that's top five in this draft. That's potentially top three in, in this draft. We're going to be, going to be perfectly honest because that type of wing is always in, in high demand. And I agree with you guys. That there absolutely is a path for Kaminga to be able to develop and get better and, and turn himself into a potential all-star. Um, so, so that's why you kind of have to hold him in, in high regard one way or the other. And I don't think that there's and any realm at which I would let him slip past like a top six pick um, in the draft. So but with, with that being said, I want to move to Dacian Nix, who I think we're all probably in agreement that like Isaiah Todd is the, the quote unquote most interesting of the four players. But I actually think that Nix is the most interesting of the four players. And the reason why is I'm going to be the most excited to figure out what his outcome ends up being and to learn lessons from it. Because if we go into his, his body and his physique and his size at the point guard spot, I think we all have to agree that's probably the biggest concern about his game. Like, it's one thing to hear, like, a forward or a center. Um, you have these questions and concerns about whether they can keep weight off or if they have problems keeping weight off. Like, that's one thing. But to hear that about a guard... I mean, that definitely concerned me right off the bat. And then you kind of have to go into how that translated on the court. Like, you can go into his IQ and how smart of a playmaker he is in terms of his his making decisions. And I definitely think that there were times where he had some turnovers that weren't necessarily his fault. Like, he saw a play emerging, like, one or two steps ahead. And I think at times even some of the other more experienced G League guys didn't necessarily anticipate what, what uh, what Nick's was seeing and, and that speaks volumes to the type of playmaker like that's like Rondo um, type le- level stuff uh, in, in certain situations so that definitely impressed me but in terms of him being able to score on the ball like you can tell he, he he's not an above the rim athlete by any means um, he's pretty ground bound if he's getting close to the basket he's not elevating off the floor really at all and he's an easy guy to block a shot on um, I don't really see him as having this great finishing package and then it's not that he can't shoot from a standstill but he never really showed the willingness or, or the desire um, to shoot from the standstill particularly from three and that showed I mean he only shot like 18 percent um, from the three-point line on about two threes per game so not, not like 
the highest volume by any means, but at the same time, those aren't encouraging signs. Um, and he shot 38% overall for, from the floor. So obviously there are a lot of concerns about his offensive game. I'm not even getting into the defensive portion. Um, but, but Corey, how do you feel about Dacia Nick's overall a, as a prospect? Has he definitely slid into like this, this second round territory? Like I've even, um, seen him drop off of some top 60 type boards, like completely like I, I think the the general public isn't as enthused on Dacia Knicks nearly as much as they were um, before the G League season started yeah I mean I, I I've also seen him you know slipping quite a bit I think out of you know these guys I think obviously I think the the play and and you know kind of being a part of this G League team is probably a good thing for his development, but I think for his draft stock, I think that he probably would have benefited more had he gone to college. Um, you know, I watching him play, you know, a lot of times when you see guys get downhill, be like, wow, like he, you know, he kind of hits these, these holes like a running back. With Knicks, it's more like a fullback, right? Like <laughs> his, his outcome to me, it's like, is this dude going to be able to stay in shape? You know, straight up, like to me, that's that's the thing, and and I think he was in a little bit better shape in high school. Uh, you know, I read something today that you know he was recovering from COVID, and that had an effect on his weight. So if that's potentially true, uh, you know, you gotta kind of empathize with that a little bit. But I think that the playmaking is really, really impressive. And a lot of times, when you start getting down to the the late first round, you start getting down to the second round can you find like an elite skill that a player has? You know, a lot of times to me, the Jack of all trade guys, um, it's hard. It's harder for them. The the lower you get in the draft to be useful because, you know, there's going to be guys on the roster who do your Jack of all trade thing better than you do already. So for me, like if he has like an elite skill, which I think his, his passing kind of is like in his vision I agree with you like you know sometimes when you see the play ahead of time and somebody doesn't see it you're gonna get a turnover and it looks like it's your fault but it isn't but like some of the passes that he he was executing at his age like the live dribble left-handed like weak side passes like that's some pretty serious stuff so you know I I really do buy into his passing and for me it's it's just it comes down to you man like are you gonna get in shape are you gonna take it seriously like yeah, he might not ever look like Jonathan Kaminga physically. That just might not be his body. But I'm I'm all about can this kid be in NBA level shape, you know? And and because you have to be in the best shape possible playing in this modern NBA where you have to cover so much ground. You every second, every split second counts and you know, if you're not if you're a little heavier than you should be, you're you're costing yourself split seconds and when you don't have those other skills to fall back on the shooting the uh you know and even the defense um it's going to be held against you the the little things are going to be held against you more whereas like you're not holding some of those little things against Kaminga because he can make up for it in, in other ways like with Knicks he doesn't get that same rope that same leeway so um I I think he showed some touch at times as a finisher and he can obviously finish through people sometimes, given his body. But I'm really just interested to see his weight because I would take a flyer on him at the end of the first round, personally, because I do think his passing is really, really um, special for for a prospect. But you know, it, it's all like, 
how special is your is your vision and your passing if you can't get on the floor? I question if we've laid out the the archetype of point guard that is much better in, in like a backup type role. Like like when I'm watching Knicks, I, I understand that his playmaking at, at times can look otherworldly. But if as Corey just outlined and kind of what I was talking about, if you don't have those other parts to your game and you can only be like this playmaker and this table setter for others and you can't necessarily have the offense look at you and, and kind of have that trust to be able to make a play yourself to score the basketball when everything breaks down around you, then I, I don't really see like a starter upside for that type of point guard. Um, do you kind of feel the same way, Albert? Like, what are some of your thoughts about um, his his potential upside, if any, as a scorer and, and kind of the balance between those two things and what that can mean for like a starting point guard in the league versus someone who's much better off coming off the bench as like a third guard and leading a second unit? I, I think what Corey said about uh, him moving more like a fullback, I thought of him more as like a gadget play type of thing where you bring in like a defensive tackle at the one yard line and you're hoping he could just like plow in there. Um, that's more of what I saw with, uh, with Knicks. Cause he, geez, like there was one play against like, I think it was against the Erie Bayhawks. He had like an open lane for a layup and he got up maybe 12 to 13 inches off the ground. And I was just like, <laughs> yikes. Like that's really tough, you know? And like, I, once again, like I hope I don't come off as like fat shaming or anything like that. It's just like, we're talking about, a guy that teams are potentially going to look at as Corey mentioned late first round, early second or whatever. But I don't know, like when I compare him, like, okay, let's say we're talking about late first, early second, there are going to be guys on the board there that for me are a little bit more interesting. Like a guy like Isaiah Wong, he's like a personal guy for me. Like I, I, I kind of like him from Miami. I thought he has like, he has some nice like third guard scoring potential guys like miles mcbride there there are going to be other guys there where you put nicks next to those guys and you wonder and you ask the question that you just asked me like is it, it, i could potentially find a second or third guard here do i want the guy who struggles to stay in shape or do i want these other guys who have a little bit more pop to them and so you know with nicks i think like even defensively there's some possessions like i'm watching him like trying to deny and stuff and like his feet are like just grounded like cement blocks are he had like cement blocks for feet and he's just like all over the place and i, I think that was a little discouraging for me um i do want to give him some credit you know with the stuff that you guys talked about the playmaking some of the passing is sick like i, I don't want to discredit that but then you know Corey and i on our latest pod we talked about all the elite level passers that are in this draft and there are tons of passers in this draft that you might be able to find in that range as well like you know who who knows like what might happen with the board but i don't know like I, for me like if i was a gm i don't think i would touch him and maybe that obviously that's just me um but i think i would let another gm take a bet on him and hope that he gets in shape and like even if he does get in shape right what are we looking at like i don't know like when Corey and I talked about Knicks, like I thought of like Raymond Felton, because Felton's another guy who struggled with his weight as a as a smaller guard. And I, I I just don't know. Like if he could be Raymond Felton, then yeah, you take a flyer on on him in the second round and let him be your third guard. But I, I just I there are too many question marks for me with him. Um and like the his weight leads to a lot of other questions too. And so if I was a GM, I, I think I would stay away and let another GM take a take a bet on him. That's exactly why, to me, he's the most interesting player 
not even just among these guys, but arguably in this entire draft class, because this is really going to be an experiment of your ability to process and understand the game at, at so much of a higher level than, than like 80 to 85 percent of your peers, um, not not even just necessarily in, in your position class, but but in the NBA overall, like, like we could probably all agree that his IQ, like, like at, at least as a passer and his ability to, to see things and make a play on offense, he's probably going to be in like the top 15, 20% um, of players in the NBA. Like that's how potentially gifted of a playmaker this kid is. But how do you weigh that with everything else, both physically and the other parts of that game? Like what type of player does that translate into? Like, are we all going to be wrong about um, our classification of this guy being like this this second round talent who can't necessarily um, break into like a starters type role in the league like that's like like I, I'm perfectly ready for any possible outcome uh, with, with Knicks and, and I would gladly accept being wrong on that level of, of a projection on him and don't worry Al but we're not we're not fat shaming on this podcast I would never fat shame on this podcast not not that I'm a professional athlete but as somebody who's struggled uh, with maintaining his weight o- o- over the course of his life. Um, I-, I-, I get everything that goes along with that. So um, Nix has a fan in me, and I really want to root for him, and I hope that he proves all of us wrong. But Cole, where where are you at um, on Nix? What-, what else do you have to-, to throw into the conversation on him? Yeah, I'd like to root for Nix too. I mean, I think we all like the guy who can pass really well and, and make it look fun on the basketball court and fun to play with. But I just have too many questions, and you guys hit the big one. It's his body, and if you're thinking about taking him in the first round, you really need to ask yourself, all right, where is his physique at right now? Where is it at? Where is it going to be at in three years, five years? And really assess that and, and think it's and find out if it's worth it for you to take him with the first round and guaranteed contract like that. I don't. I think beyond the body, there's too many other questions offensively. This kid doesn't have a three-point shot yet. Um, there's no chance he's Raymond Felton. He doesn't shoot off the move like that, and he never will, uh, I don't think. Right. Um, so... I don't know. I, I think he's, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put the nail in the coffin too soon, but I think this kid is pretty much destined for overseas at some point, but I'd love to be wrong too. I, I liked a lot of the names that, that coach Shaw used um, for, for comparing a lot of his guys when he was on Chad Ford's podcast, as I alluded to earlier. Um, the, the only name that I really didn't like was when he threw out Andre Miller's name for, for Nick's because I think Andre Miller was a much better defender at the guard spot than people give him credit for. It's not just that he was that big, but he was he was um, very intense as a player overall. Um, you can compare him in terms of the playmaking from being like this, this bigger point guard, um, this bigger pure point guard, but that was really the only one that gave me cause to pause, and that really leads me to think, like, I don't really have any other names to compare Knicks. Like, he, he's a pretty unique case study at the point guard spot so yeah but like i said i'm going to be very intrigued to see what what happens with his career arc overall where he lands how he develops and and the type of role he's going to be able to carve out in the league or if he's somebody that that ends up overseas because everything just didn't quite break right for him um with, with that being said we're going to move on to the last guy that we're talking about on the pod tonight would be isaiah todd um you can throw out a lot of interesting scenarios in terms of development arcs for him, where where he ultimately translates, how his game ends up developing. But man, the more that I look and study his jump shot, what he brings to the table at that size, at 6'10", the fact that he was able to shoot 36% from three um, during the G League Ignite season, he shot 82% from the free throw line. Um, 
the 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 more that I watched kind of some of the decision making that he brought, it's not that he has like this this crazy handle or that he's this amazing face up playmaker, but like when he got himself caught like under the basket, um, or he got himself caught on the move, like he was able to make the 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 easy pass out and he was able to avoid turnovers at times, which which for me, I mean that really intrigued me. Like he he played twenty four minutes a game. But with how much he ended up having the ball in his hands, whether he was shooting it um, or he was making the decision on the move, he only had one and a half turnovers per game. Um, and it's not necessarily all about the assists and how many assists you have to turnovers. If you're shooting in any type of volume um, and you're averaging under two turnovers per game, that, that speaks volumes to me. And I kind of alluded to that multiple times on the podcast as well. Like he took 11 shots per game in those 24 minutes, which uh, we talked about Kaminga having a healthy volume of shots. He took about a little over 15 per game. So uh, Todd was only four shots per game behind him. So like I said, that, that balance, that, that level of being able to either make a quick decision when you get yourself in trouble or having different ways to find yourself, get shots, whether that's um, attacking a closeout, um, shooting off the catch, shooting off the move even at times, as Cole and I were talking about before we fired this podcast up. Like, I really liked a lot of the things that Isaiah Todd brought to the table. Um, and, and I really think that I don't know if I'm as high on him at, like, the back end of the first round. Like, that's probably where I'd be comfortable drafting him. I don't necessarily see, like, this star-level outcome for him as some others have, have talked about on social media. Like, man, if this kid really puts it all together, like, what could we have in the NBA? I think that just given his size, his functional athleticism, his willingness to make plays on the defensive end, block shots from the weak side, being able to hold himself together in a one-on-one -on -one matchup in the post, especially um, as he continues to add to his frame and bulk out a little bit, like what if he becomes this, this Morris twin type player in the NBA where he becomes this sought after type forward who can stretch the floor for you? You know, he, he's not going to make a ton of mistakes on, on either end of the floor. And he's just going to be a really solid contributor at that forward spot for years and years. Like, I think that that's a very reasonable um, arc for his career to take shape. And like, if that's the case, then maybe we are undervaluing him as like this late first round type prospect. Maybe we need to look at him, uh, look at drafting him sooner. Um, Cole, I know you had a name for him, um, that, that you popped over to me and I'd see this name as more of like a ceiling for Todd. If he really does put it all together, I, I think it's a pretty lofty ceiling for him to potentially live, live up to. But what was that name that you had for me, Cole? And, and what do you think about Todd's game overall? Yeah. So let me first start off by saying, I like the Morris twins. I think that's a nice medium. I just think his profile is based more around is going like is going forward. I think he's just going to be built more around his shooting. So for me, I kind of came to the conclusion that I think there's a Rashard Lewis type ceiling in there for him. Um, he came into the G League and exceeded all expectations, in my opinion, especially as a shooter. Uh, you touched on it, Nate. He was doing some stuff off, off screens and looking very fluid doing it. And I threw on some Rashard Lewis tape from 05 this morning. And, you know, lo and behold, Rashard Lewis is doing the same thing. And Isaiah Todd is doing the same thing that Rashard Lewis is doing and, and posting up in the short corner and turning around and fading and, and hitting tough jump shots with making it look really easy, too. So, yeah, I think that's in there for him. And I think... You know, the Morris twins had this element of toughness about them that kind of defined their profile and, and the shooting kind of came around for them as they got in the league. So I think Isaiah Todd, from that standpoint, is further along as a shooter uh, than both the Morris twins were at this age. So I think I think he's exceeded expectations and I think that's a sign for things to come. And I think that's why the Richard Lewis upside is in play. 
Albert, how do you feel about Isaiah Todd, some of the names that we've thrown out? How are you kind of projecting his game moving forward? I, I'm kind of floored right now um, by the Rashard Lewis <laughs> comparison because... Me too. I'm gonna, I just, love it. It just connected in my brain, and I'm like, okay, like, am I am I willing to now put him in the lottery? Like, <laughs> dude, I freaking love that comparison because for me, whenever I watch Isaiah Todd, and I know I've texted this to Corey maybe like 95 times already, but um, I always think of like something that the Podfather Bill Simmons talks about all the time. When you're looking at bigs, especially Isaiah Todd's six ten, right? We're talking about guys this size. When you watch their gait and the way that they run up and down the court, I think it's really interesting to watch how fluid and how natural it looks. Isaiah Todd looks so damn fluid when he's like just walking and moving and running on the court. It doesn't make sense to me. Like I'm watching him play and I'm like, he's not human. Like, I can't believe how silky smooth he is just in terms of his movement and, like, just his his stance and everything. And then you see him shoot a ball, and it's like, God damn, like, what is that? Like, I was watching one of their games today, and he, he was just, like, catching the ball from the elbow, going in triple threat, and he just, like, doing stuff, you know? And I was just like, this is so beautiful to watch. And I'm, like, really starting to – it got to a point where I was, like, questioning myself. I'm like, why are people not – talking about this more and then like shouts to Mavs draft on on Twitter he posted a video today of Isaiah Todd and some of his passing chops and I was like if you start putting these things together something I said before we started recording today I think his absolute floor is Mike Scott um and as you guys mentioned I think Cole mentioned it Mike Scott is not a bad player he's been in the league a long time played for a couple teams and I think that's his floor and if Rashard Lewis is his ceiling Sign me up, dude. I, if if like you know, I, I'm a I'm a New York guy, huge Knicks fan. If the Knicks are sitting there at I don't know where are we, 22 and 24, whatever, and some of the other guys that I love are off the board, I'd grab Isaiah Todd there, man. Especially, man, Cole, you're messing me up with this Rashard Lewis comp now. Like I'll, I'm gonna be thinking about this all night. I love it, but um, yeah, I'm really high on Isaiah Todd just because he does stuff on the court that doesn't make sense to me in terms of his size. And as you mentioned, like he shot 82 percent from free throw line 36 percent from three and that's something Corey and i we we love when we're thinking about you know how that translates to the next translates to the next level and so i'm super high on him way higher on him than i am nicks for sure if i could hop back in and, and bounce off a point you made nate about his about how much the ball was in his hands for the g league team yeah his usage rate was 23.3 percent Domingos was 24 and a half. That's really not a big difference. And, nope. and Todd did, did take very good care of the ball. I think that's another very positive indicator for, you know, what he could handle from a volume standpoint. Yeah, two quick things, and then I'll, I'll kick it over to, to Corey. I just want to chime in really quick. So um, in, in multiple interviews that you've heard, anybody close to that G League Ignite team talking about um, all four guys as a whole, you hear the the word consistent thrown thrown around in practices and, and in scrimmage settings about Isaiah Todd the most. And that really jumps out to me because we 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 harped on Jalen Green having this stellar work ethic and him being a gym rat um, and him doing everything he possibly can to get better. Um, Jonathan Kaminga being um, an electric competitor on the floor on, on both ends. Um, Dacia Nix obviously having this innate ability to process the game um, and being able to, to get up and down the floor at the very least and make plays for others. But with Todd being the guy who potentially boosted his stock the most, who got back on people's radars and, and proved it not only to the teammates, um, but also to a coaching staff um, this early in his development, that really sticks out 
um, to, to, to me personally. And the other thing I'll say is that b- before Corey might have any other names to, to throw in the pot here um, for some comparisons to, to look at for Isaiah Todd, every name that we're bringing up, these are guys that have been around in the NBA um, who, who had lengthy careers or, or are in the middle of having a lengthy career. So, like, that's another thing that really sticks out to me. Like, we can talk about guys who have enormous upside but also have these, like, basement-level floors that, that, like, they could be out of the league after, like, their first four or five years. But, like, if we're talking about all these comparisons for Todd that can have careers of, like, 10-plus years, then, like, why are we keeping him like so low on a potential board or like with where we're thinking about drafting him? Like, yeah, I think he kind of has to, to, to rise. If this is really the, the, the type of outcome that we're seeing for him, what do you think, Corey? Um, I'm also a, uh, uh, a believer, uh, in Todd. And, and I think he is a first rounder. And what I like about his game is that you're not going to have to dumb it down at the NBA level. Like you are going to have to do, Potentially to some of these later first round, uh, early second round prospects. Like when you get to this area again, like a lot of these guys were the man in college and they're going to have to step into a situation where they are no longer that. So like, can you evolve into being more of a role player versus like, you know, this primary role you might've experienced in college with Todd, like you, you know that he is going to find a role on NBA teams because his game was made for that. I love the Rashard Lewis comp, even the Michael Scott comp. I'm off. You wanted me to throw another one out. Like where can you not envision him kind of playing the same role that the bulls have had Laurie Markinen playing the last like two years. Like, all Markinen has been doing is like spotting up, shooting threes, attacking closeouts, rebounding sometimes and trying to sit in a drop and protect the rim. Like, is Isaiah Todd going to be that far away from this version of Laurie Markkinen? Like, oh, I'll tell you, he's going to be better on defense more likely than not. For, you for, know, for like, sure. I, I could foresee that. And, you know, especially if that three ball continues to evolve. And, you know, I, I like there are more intric- uh, intricacies to his game besides just like spotting up, pick and pop, attacking closeouts. Like you can give it to him in the mid post in the short corner. He does have that slick fade away. Um, you know, he's able to jab step you, get to the rim. So like if you wanted to give to the, the ball to him a little bit more, he can probably do stuff at the next level, even though that's not going to be something he's probably tasked with too often. But you can do it in spurts. So, you know, if, if the the offense is going through a, a little, you know, misstep for a couple of minutes, you can kind of maybe use him to jumpstart it because like you alluded to, he's not afraid to let it fly and get shots up. So, you know, I think that's valuable, especially um, that you can have him be in a bench role like that early on. But I, I just think his game is so easily transferable to the NBA level. I mean, what team isn't looking for a big at his height, with his fluidity, to space the floor. You know, it's it's very highly coveted. So I don't have questions about his game translating. It's going to be, all right, you have the skills, you have the fluidity, the athleticism. Are you going to be efficient? And if he can be efficient at his job, I think that he is kind of a, a safe pick in that regard. Because, again, I think his game is just so simplified. So, you know, I'm not worried that he's not getting to the line a bunch. He's not going to be a primary. I don't need him to do that. I just need him to be a role player. And I think he's more than capable of of excelling in that role at the next level. I kind of agree. And, like, we we can talk about 
potential negatives for him, um, but I, I really don't have many, and I think the negatives that I would have uh, about his game, uh, obviously he, he's going to need to get better at, at play recognition and processing the game from a mental standpoint on, on both ends of the floor for the full amount of minutes that he's actually playing on the court, but I mean, you can say that about almost every other rookie, so like, is, is that really that harsh of a criticism for somebody like Todd? I would say no, it's something to monitor, but uh, you know, a lot, a lot of kids are going to have that same issue. But the other thing is, um, as you just pointed out, Corey, that you probably aren't drafting him to be like this first or second option on a team. Like you're drafting him to be a role player and, and operate within himself. And like, I, I don't necessarily see him being this awesome shot creator. Like when he does try to, to get into like that, 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 that shot jacker mode, um, he can kind of get a little too comfortable leaning on that jump shot. He'll, he'll fade back a little too far, and you'll see some of those air balls um, take place. He gets a little too comfy at times. But, like, yeah, if you rein him in, um, you, you sit him down, you, you get him understanding concepts on both ends of the floor, and you get him to buy into the role that you envision him having on your team, like, like yeah, his athletic package, which, by the way, he's he's also a like potential freak athlete. Um, we didn't even, none of us mentioned that yet. Um, but but like, that's also, that's also important to take into account as well. So like, yeah, like, man, I, I, the only, the only reason why I didn't love the Richard Lewis comp and I, and I told Cole this, well, I'll, it's fine as a ceiling, but like Richard Lewis was absolutely pr- prolific from the perimeter, from three point range. And, and, but, but if Todd can get there as a shooter um, in some of those different situations where Lewis was able to can shots, especially for, for some of those Orlando magic teams down the stretch, then yeah, like the, 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 the sky could be the limit in terms of this kid's ceiling as like a role type player as like a third, fourth option um, on a good team. And that's why I really like the, the Morris twins comparison for him because they've been incremental cogs um, for, from a role player standpoint on so many good teams over the years, like, like, yeah, they change teams a lot, but that's because that type of player um, and what they ultimately bring to the table is in such high demand that when one of them is available to be had on like a free agent market or like a trade market, like, yeah, like they want that player to be thrown in on a deal. They want to sign them because they know that they're going to be valuable in, in, in tight spots and they play a position of need. So I kind of see the same level of outcome for Todd. So yeah, I think we're all in agreement that, that maybe we need to all value him a little higher if we don't already. And that's definitely um, a good question to pose my, our listeners out there as well. Um, if anybody's had some questions or, or reservations about Todd, but guys, that was awesome. This truly was one of my more favorite pods because I I really like talking about all of these guys. I thought the G League Ignite team was such a fun experiment. I think it definitely came out as a positive outcome for, for all parties. And I can't wait to see what somebody like Jaden Hardy ends up doing in, for the G League Ignite team next year. I, I really think this is going to be a, a beneficial development program for players and a solid um, option other than college moving forward. So uh, my, my level of excitement is through the roof for the draft, as it all is for all of us. But I thank Corey and Albert. I really do thank you guys for, for coming on the show this week. Um, Corey, before we wrap up, why, I want you to tell our audience a little bit about what you've been able to do with the Hardwood Herald. If anybody hasn't seen that, um, I, I think that's a really special, unique, and fun project that you've gotten yourself involved in. So why don't you tell my audience about that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, I just released um about a week ago issue two uh of the hardwood magazine which you know, honestly is a project that i never saw myself doing i you know i never had like dreams of owning my own magazine 
the draft season last year was just so strange and so prolonged that I wanted to find a creative way to put out a big board. We're, we're draft addicts. You're sitting there, you put so much work into that last draft. I mean, it, it became a chore almost because it just kept dragging on and being pushed back, pushed back. And I was like, you know what? I'm not just like releasing an Excel spreadsheet. Like I, I work too hard on this draft. I want to do something cool. And I'm like, all right, well, I got the YouTube channel that's, you know, doing pretty well with my player breakdowns. Maybe I should release, you know, video. And I was like, no, other people are going to do that. And I was sitting around watching a documentary on this skateboarding magazine that I used to read as a kid. And I was like, maybe I should put out a magazine. And I thought it was crazy. I woke up the next day and I still kind of thought it was a cool idea. So I was like, maybe I can get other, you know, kind of draft minds to contribute and put together like this draft themed magazine. And uh, I put it out. I didn't know if anyone was going to buy it, but I was like, you know what? It was cool. So if no one buys it, I know it was this cool project and it sold out really fast uh, in only like a couple of days. So, you know, it kind of allowed me to continue on and I'm going to do another uh, issue for the draft, but this past issue um, issue two was more NBA themed. So, you know, I got a lot of really good writers, Jonathan Macri from Knicks film school, uh, Adam Taylor from Celtics blog, Matt Brooks from Nets daily, uh, Tyler Rucker from Backcourt Violation, Tyler Metcalf, uh, another great draft guy, uh, just a bunch of really good writers. Um, and then I, I, had, I did some really cool interviews. I interviewed uh, Tom O'Grady. He's the first creative director uh, the NBA ever had. So we talked about like wow. working with David Stern every day and uh, getting to meet Michael Jordan before he was Michael Jordan and, and designing the Phoenix Suns like 1993 championship jerseys and the Knicks rebrand and like all of like he did every cool design from the 90s it was a really fun conversation I interviewed the through the wire podcast that was amazing um I just it's this cool project that I think is just really been a bright spot for me and you know it's it's an independent magazine so I'm able to do whatever I want with it so I themed it to look like a comic book it's all illustrated I'm a maniac I put coloring book pages in it like you know, I, I, you can get as crazy as you can. And I think in this digital age we live in, there's something fun and nostalgic about like looking back and thinking about what we used to read in physical formats as a kid and um, doing it in limited, you know, kind of capacity. It's It's been a really cool project. No, I, I'm personally, when I see you put out um, the, the content for a Corey, I'm blown away, especially when, when you talked about the art portion of everything and how you designed it. Like I, I am not a creative artist by any means. <laughs> so you probably wouldn't see me doing something like that. And that's another reason why I'm so blown away by it. But yeah, all the people you have involved, all of the content that's actually in those issues to, to me is incredible. So job well done. Um, I would have bought one already, but the damn things sell out before I can even find the link <laughs> on social media. So issue three, Corey, you better set aside an issue for me and I'll gladly Gladly buy one um from i'm gonna you. need you guys to contribute at that off that that would that, now that would be an honor that that would, sure. would be an honor and seriously. I'd, be, I'd be happy to um but but seriously thank you so much for sharing about that my audience yeah um definitely follow Corey on social media um and follow albert as well albert where can my audience find the both of you guys on, on social media and how can they listen to your draft act podcast um <clears throat> you can find me on twitter at um 
you know, I, I'm, I've been thinking about this. Maybe I need to rebrand. My Twitter handle is so boring. It's just my name. It's Albert <laughs> O-E-G-H-I-M. So that sounds really boring. But um, hey, I really, I do, I did want to say I really appreciate you guys having us on the pod today. Like this has been such a crazy experience, and I, I, I just, you know, I give Corey all the credit. This guy just brought me on and was like, "Let's do this," and we've been ripping, ripping and running ever since. And um, if you guys, uh, you could, you guys can find us on Spotify, on uh, Apple Pods, wherever, pretty much anywhere you get your pods. Just look up the Draft Act uh, is the name of our pod, and we've. We're we're busy, man. We're getting busy. We're doing. We're pumping out as much content as we can. And um, you know, as a little parting gift to all of your listeners, I'm gonna drop one hot take uh, that I really didn't want to. But after our conversation about Isaiah Todd, um, and I'm actually, I, I wonder how you guys feel about this. Maybe this is a perfect place to end. Producer really Kevin to... loves hot takes, so <laughs> go right ahead. I, I want to throw this at our at our host because I, I want to hear how you guys feel. Corey knows the disdain that I have for Jalen Johnson. I really can't wrap my head around like uh, liking uh, him. It's been a real struggle for me. I'm at a point where I have Isaiah Todd above Jalen Johnson for me. Um, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna drop that there and let you guys riff on that because I, I'm, I'm serious. Me, like Jalen Johnson's hard for me. Let oh, me yeah. stop you there. And we're gonna leave, I wanna leave this as a teaser because we talked about it a little bit in the DM. Yeah. We're gonna do Jalen Johnson as the home and home. Okay. We're going to do Jalen Johnson as the home and home. So if you want to know, hmm. when you guys come on our show, that's where you'll get the Jalen Johnson answer. Hear that? Everybody now, I'm if, excited if they about weren't it. already before, I, I sure hope that you will, because like I said, it's been one of my favorite pods, but now you really do have to subscribe to the Draft Act show. Um, because if this is going to be a home and home series, I mean, I told Corey in the DMs that uh, before a lot of stuff happened, like Jalen Johnson was one of my guys in this draft. Like, like I wanted everybody to be known. Like, you better watch this guy for a potential top five pick. So I definitely have enough to say uh, on mm -hmm. Jalen Johnson. So I would be happy to to return that favor. Absolutely. So, um, with that being said. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you aren't subscribed already, please, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, wherever you feel comfortable listening to a podcast, subscribe, download, um, rate, leave us a five-star review. It, it's absolutely appreciated for me to be able to see some of that feedback. Um, it means a lot to me. And follow us on Twitter, at DraftDeeper, um, to be able to, to talk with us nonstop. We're always talking draft. We're always talking hoops, NBA. Um, this episode is one of two episodes that we're going to be, be dropping over the next week here. We do have an NBA playoff preview pod that, that we're going to be recording here. We're recording this one um, on Thursday, May 20th. We're going to be recording the NBA pod on Friday, May 21st. Hopefully we can get that out before too much um, of the actual first round of the playoffs have started. So definitely keep an eye out. We're going to be doing both draft coverage as well as round-by-round -round previews as we move through the playoffs here. So a lot of podcasts coming. I can't wait to hop on the Draft Act podcast with some of these guys and, and some of the writers that Corey mentioned too um, that he's had be involved with the Hardwood Herald. I'm hoping to have some of those guys on as guests in the coming weeks as well. I, I have more people lined up, so definitely stay tuned to our podcast. And thank you so much again, everyone, for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you.